0: I will be reading from Psalm 132 and 133. Remember, O Lord, on David's behalf, all of his affliction, how he swore to the Lord and vowed to the mighty one of Jacob. Surely I will not enter my house nor lie on my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. Behold, we heard it in Ephrath. We found it in the field of Jaar. Let us go into his dwelling place. Let us worship at his footstool. Arise, O Lord, to your resting place. You and the ark of your strength. Let your priest be clothed in righteousness and let your godly one sing for joy. For the sake of David, your servant, do not turn away the face of your anointed. For the sake of David, your servant, do not turn away the face of your anointed. The Lord has sworn to David a truth which he will not turn back. Of the fruit of your body I will set upon the throne. If your sons will keep my covenant and my testimony which I will teach them, their sons shall sit upon your throne forever. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He He has desired it for his habitation. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her provisions. I will satisfy her needy with bread. Her priest also I will clothe with salvation, and her godly ones will sing aloud for joy. There I will cause the horn of David to spring forth. I have prepared a lamp for my anointed. His enemies I will clothe with shame, but upon himself his crown shall shine. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head coming down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard coming down upon the edge of his robes. It's like the dew of Hermon coming down upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forever. Heavenly Father, thank you for these beautiful words that are designed to point out the greatness of all that you have done for us. Thank you for the Lord Jesus. Thank you for your life. And thank you for the goodness uh, and, and, and in this passage for the wonderful, wonderful love that you showed and demonstrated in the severity and kindness all wrapped up in this. We ask in Jesus' name that you give Tom guidance and teach us and let our hearts be receptive to what your spirit wants us to see. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
1: Good morning on this Resurrection Sunday. Resurrection life is life together. It's life together with God and together with the redeemed people of God forever. I want to begin this morning with something that I said uh, once before about the religion of Islam. And I don't pretend to be an expert on that religion, and nor do I aspire or intend to be once you have beheld the one true God through the one true revelation of God, all the imitations are easily recognized as such. But I want to point out one particular thing about the Muslim view of the afterlife in order to drive home a critically important truth about the truth regarding the afterlife, about what resurrection life actually is. According to the Muslim religion, Allah certainly will not dwell in the midst of his people in paradise. A lot of people don't know that. It's public domain, you can go look it up yourself. Islam says that Allah has no body and has no place. Remember those words, Allah has no place. So he cannot ever be said to be in a place. He will make himself According to their religion, he will make himself visible to those who have earned the right to live in paradise, which Islam declares actually to be seven places and not one, seven different levels. Some Muslim writings declare that Allah will be seen daily. He will be seen daily by the most righteous and deserving who inhabit the highest level of paradise. And on Fridays, he'll be seen by everybody who's in paradise. But listen to what one Muslim cleric says about whether or not Allah himself will be in paradise. Listen carefully. If one says, I see Allah in paradise, one becomes a disbeliever. But if one says, I see Allah from paradise, one does not become a disbeliever. The reason is that in the former case, place has been ascribed to Allah, and that's the, that's the, the issue here. Place has been ascribed to Allah. On the other hand, if one's intention, when one says, I see Allah from paradise, is actually that he means, I see Allah in paradise, then he's a disbeliever. In other words, whatever words you choose, if what you mean is that Allah actually dwells in the same place as his people, you're a disbeliever. That's a big deal, guys. And the people, by the way, the people who will inhabit paradise according to Islam will not all dwell together. I've, there's one article, find it real easily, it's called What is Paradise? Uh, and it, it's, it's approved by the Islamic uh, hierarchy and it says the people of paradise will see the people of the highest places in paradise above them as you see a brilliant star far away on the horizon in the east or the west because of the difference in status between them. And then it says again later, the people of the highest degrees of paradise will be seen by those beneath them as a star is seen on the horizon. No hugs there, guys. Now, those that the highest levels of paradise will have the ability to visit those at the lower levels, but not vice versa. Those at the lower levels can't visit those higher levels. So for all eternity, according to Islam, those who live well enough on earth to earn a place in paradise in one of the levels will certainly never share a place with God and they will not dwell together with all of God's people, only with those who have attained to their level or below if they get to go visit, if they go visit them. All right, now, you might think that the Muslim declaration that God cannot be ascribed a place sounds a lot like what the Bible teaches about the omnipresence of Yahweh. The Bible very clearly presents the the only true God as seeing and being in all places at all times. Read Psalm 139. There's no place, David says, where I can go to hide from him because he's already there. He sees everything. He knows me better than I know myself. But to say that Yahweh, the one true God, will not actually be with his people, that he will not actually dwell in the same place as his people in eternity would not merely deny some minor point of Christian theology, beloved. It would deny the central promise of the whole Bible, which is Emmanuel, God with us. Over and over throughout both testaments of the Bible, God clearly, repeatedly, emphatically, and passionately, if we, and I recognize some people don't ascribe passion to God, let's just say enthusiastically, promises that he will dwell right in the midst of his redeemed people in the place that he has prepared for himself and for us, and he'll dwell with us forever. And this part is really important. In that place that God has prepared, you and I will not be disembodied spirits worshiping God only in the spiritual realm. We will be redeemed souls inhabiting redeemed physical bodies living together in the very same place that is inhabited by God himself. God says so over and over and over. And our king will inhabit a body like ours because God will make ours like his. See, Jesus had to become like us to pay for our sin, and he has to make us like him in order for us to dwell in his midst because he's now glorified. The promise of that place is the promise not only of access to God, beloved, but of proximity to God, of physical nearness to God. My brother Kirit said this morning, we'll get to hug Jesus. Physical communion as well as spiritual communion. That's the promise, guys. In Ezekiel 37, verse 23, New Covenant in the Old Testament, God says of his people, they will no longer defile themselves with their idols or with their detestable things or with any of their transgressions, but I will deliver them from all their dwelling places in which they have sinned, and I will cleanse them, and they will be my people, and I will be their God. My servant David will be king over them. Now bear in mind, when that was written in Ezekiel, David had been dead for 450 years. The David this is talking about is the, is the son of David and son of God in the line of, who is in the line of David who will full, perfectly fulfill God's promises to King David. My servant David will be king over them and they will all have one shepherd and they will walk in my ordinances and they will keep my statutes and observe them. They will live on the land that I gave to Jacob, my servant in which your fathers lived and they will live on it. They and their sons and their sons' sons. How long? Forever. And David, my servant, will be their prince forever. And then he says, I will make a covenant of peace with them. It will be an everlasting covenant with them. And I will place them and multiply them, and I will set, God speaking, I will set my sanctuary in their midst forever. My dwelling place also will be with them. And I will be their God, and they will be my people. And the nations will know that I am Yahweh who sanctifies them when my sanctuary, my holy place, is in their midst forever. Did you notice the repetition? Over and over and over, even in that one passage, God says, I'll be with them. I'll be right in their midst. My dwelling place will be their dwelling place. If that's not central to your view of Christianity, you've got the wrong view of Christianity. Christianity. And we, the people of God, will absolutely not be split up into different levels of heaven based upon our levels of merit. You know why? Because none of us merits anything. You know what we all deserve, what we have all earned from God? Death. Eternal death. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. The only merit that you and I will ever have in the eyes of God is the merit of Christ. Paul's letters to the Ephesians and to the Galatians both declare that God has made us, all of us, who trust in Jesus, into one new man in Christ. And beloved, what God has joined together, no man will ever be able to tear asunder. under. So how do we get to that glorious place? How do we get from here to there? How do we go from living as redeemed saints of God on an unredeemed earth, earth and not yet redeemed physical bodies that are presently unfit to dwell with that Christ that was spoken of this morning, the one who's, who made himself visible in a vision to the Apostle John, a vision that was so unbelievable that John struggled to describe it. How do we go from what we're like now and where we are now to sharing a place together with the living God and with all of his people forever in blessed and unhindered relationship, fellowship, and intimacy? The answer to that question, how we get from here to there, is the resurrection of the saints. And it is in through, by, and because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that our our resurrection day is 100% guaranteed. In 1 Corinthians 15, Christ was the first, says Christ was the first to be raised from the dead, and that we who are Christ will likewise be raised from the dead at his coming. He was the first fruits, we are the latter fruits. Later in that same chapter, Paul says, behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. And he tells us in a minute who the all is. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised perishable and we will all be changed. And then he says that the all is those who belong to Christ. And speaking of that same glorious event in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul says, we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep. And by asleep, he means those who died as Christians. So that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will be raised first. And then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. God's promise to all who trust in Jesus is that we'll all be raised as Christ was raised. Christ was raised immortal, imperishable, holy, so we in the likeness of Christ will be raised immortal, imperishable, and holy. And just as his resurrection was physical, bodily, the tomb was empty, so our resurrection will be. But beloved, the God-decreed goal of that transformation, that metamorphosis that God will bring about in each of us on our glorious resurrection day, the goal will not end in our spiritual and physical holiness. The goal and the point of that transformation that the Bible calls resurrection, is that by that resurrection, God will both equip us and make us to dwell with him together with all the redeemed saints of God for all eternity. That's the goal. That's the promise. The last two verses of 1st S4 again, I'll read them. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with those who have fallen asleep in the Lord, and we will, in the, we will be caught up with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. What makes those words comforting beyond all measure is the promise that through the resurrection of these dying bodies into immortal bodies, We will always be with the Lord. That's what we were created for. That's what we were recreated for in Christ. He made us for Himself. He calls us His inheritance and He tells us that He is our inheritance. Where will we be with the Lord? Where will this place be that, that will that God's gonna where God's gonna dwell right in the midst of his people? Throughout both testaments of God's word, that long-promised place is called Zion, the New Jerusalem. That place and who will be there are the focus of the two Psalms that my brother Jonathan just read. I know you were wondering if I'd ever get to those. <laughs> Psalm 132 is about God in his place together with his people. Psalm 133 is about God's people in God's place together with each other in perfect unity. Psalm 132 begins by remembering King David's zealous commitment to build a house for God, a dwelling place for Yahweh in the midst of his people. If you look back at 2 Samuel chapter 7, you'll see the historical and theological precursor to all this, where this all comes from. That passage presents the Davidic covenant, God's covenant promise to David. It begins in 2 Samuel 7 by telling, with David telling the prophet Nathan that he, David, was determined to build a house for God, a permanent building to replace the temporary tent that God had inhabited before. In the midst of his people. But there in 2 Samuel 7, God told David that he, Yahweh, had never asked for a house. He'd never asked for men to build him a place where he could dwell on earth in their midst. He had already given Israel the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, but that was an earthly picture of God's intention to reside in the midst of his people. That wasn't the reality, that was a picture. And by the way, God himself designed that tabernacle, not man. God proceed, proceeded in 2 Samuel 7 to declare that rather than letting David build a house for him, he was going to build a house for David. God said to David, I will also appoint a place, that word keeps coming up, a place for my people Israel and I will plant them, I will place them, that they may live in their own place and not be disturbed again, nor will the wicked afflict them anymore as formerly, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord also declares to you, David, that the Lord will make a house for you. When your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your descendant after you who will come forth from you, and I will establish his kingdom he will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be a father to him and he will be a son to me. Two verses later, God said to David, your house and your kingdom will endure before me forever. Your throne will be established forever. Now, King David never got to build the earthly house for God that he had resolved to build. His son Solomon did build that, that house, but as soon as the construction of that ornate temple was completed in Jerusalem, do you know what King Solomon said about it? He said it's just a picture. He said it's, a, it's an earthly picture of the real dwelling place of God in heaven. Listen, listen to the exact words. At the dedication of the temple in 2 Chronicles 6, Solomon said to all Israel, but will God indeed dwell with mankind on earth? By the way, the answer to that question is yes, but not in that temple. Because he says, will God indeed dwell with mankind on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, how much less the house which I have built. And then he says, listen to the supplications, the requests of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place, this temple, hear from your dwelling place from heaven, hear and forgive. So where was the dwelling place of God? Heaven. That temple, that place was not the dwelling place of God in the midst of his people that God had promised in every one of the great covenants that he made with Israel? God's answer to Solomon's question ultimately, will God indeed dwell with mankind on earth, is a resounding yes throughout all of Scripture. But the temple wasn't that dwelling place. Like the tabernacle before it, it was just a a temporary picture of that promised place. Now in Psalm 132... Looking back to that exchange between God and David in 2 Samuel 7, the psalmist asked God to remember King David's resolve to build a place for him, for the mighty one of Jacob. And then the psalmist asked God to remember his response to David, that he, God, would build a house for David and establish the throne of David, and that David's own sons would sit on that throne forever. Now, if you look, if you work through the books of 1st and 2nd Kings and 1st and 2nd Chronicles, you'll see a long succession, uninterrupted succession of descendants from King David that, that ruled on the throne of David in Jerusalem. But that succession of kings came to an end when the city of Jerusalem fell to Nebuchadnezzar after he laid siege to it for a year and a half and took the last of the kings in the line of David away into captivity. Beloved, in 2 Samuel 7, it was not the descendants of David, plural, whose reign on that throne and over that kingdom would last forever. It was the descendant of David, singular, the seed of David. It was the long-promised king in the line of David, the anointed one of God, the Messiah, Jesus. And it's that word Messiah that's used twice in this psalm, in verse 10 and verse 17, where it says, my anointed. The word is Mashiach, Messiah. Here's what God says about the place, the place in which his Messiah will reign over all mankind. Psalm 132.13, for for Yahweh has chosen Zion. Yahweh has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his habitation. And then God says, this is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her provision. I can't wait to see what that looks like. I will satisfy her needy with bread. Her priests also I will clothe with salvation and her godly ones will sing out loud for joy. And then he says, there I will cause the horn of David to spring forth. I have prepared a lamp for my Messiah. His enemies I will clothe with shame, but upon himself his crown shall shine. Throughout the Old and New Testaments, Zion is the name of the place in which God will dwell on earth together with his people. And throughout both Testaments, Zion is identified as Jerusalem. But the Zion that is spoken of by the prophets and apostles is not the Jerusalem that King David knew. It's Jerusalem redeemed and made new. I believe based on Revelation 20, in several Old Testament passages that Jesus will establish an earthly kingdom for a thousand years before he ushers in his eternal kingdom. I believe the biblical references to Zion include or encompass that millennial reign of Christ, but that millennial kingdom is not the ultimate fulfillment of the long-promised place in which God will dwell forever with his people. In its perfect and eternal manifestation, Zion is the place that Jesus went to prepare when He ascended back to His rightful place at the right hand of God the Father. It is the place in which He will live together with us. The realization of that promise, pervades the whole. The, the, that it, it, pr- that promise pervades the whole Bible, and that realization of it does not come until the next to last chapter of the Bible in Revelation twenty-one. And, and that happens when Jesus brings that place back with him. It happens when Jesus brings that place that he went to prepare back with him. Revelation 21, 1 through 5, and verse 3 is the real heart of it. Verse 3 is the fulfillment of the central promise of the whole Bible. Verse 1 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready, and the word is prepared. It's the same word Jesus uses in John 14, which we'll talk about in a moment prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God, the dwelling place of God is among men. And he will dwell among them and they shall be his people and God himself will be among them. Three times in one verse, God says, I will be where you are. You will be where I am. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who who sits on the throne said, behold, I'm making all things new. And then he said to John the apostle, write this down, for these words are faithful and true. And he did write them down, fortunately. The triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit will be there in that place, right in our midst, forever. Revelation 21 verses 22 and 23 says, "I saw no temple in it in that that beautiful city, for the Lord God the Almighty and the Lamb are its temple." And the city has no need of the sun or the moon to shine upon it, for the glory of God has illumined it, and its lamp is the Lamb. It's the Father and the Son. In Revelation twenty-two seventeen, the Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let the one who hears say, Come, and let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who wishes take the water of life without cost. Our triune God will be right there with us, dwelling in our midst. I don't know what that will be like. I can only begin to imagine it. Beloved, if He were not with us in that place, it would not be heaven. You can read the Islamic literature about all about how paradise will be this place where you get whatever you want. You know what I want? Because I have beheld the beauty of God in this very finite way during the years of my earthly life. I want to see all of Him. And I want to be with Him. And I want to behold the fullness of his beauty and his majesty and his glory. And I want to know the the marvel of his character. And I want to see his, his ways displayed in every person that stands before him. That's what I want. And that's what he promises. The fact that God will dwell there doesn't mean he'll be limited in any way. He's not going to stop being omnipresent. That doesn't mean he won't be there. Beloved, make no mistake, we will share a place with God in bodies that have been made like the body of the incarnate, glorified Son of God. What John the Apostle saw in Revelation 1, guys, that's what we will look like. In 1 John 3 it says, It's not yet appeared, beloved, what we will be like. But we know that when we see him, we will be like him. For we'll see him as he truly is. And the one who now has his hope fixed on that promise glorifies himself. I mean, purifies himself, excuse me, purifies himself. He will be our God we will be His people and He will dwell right in our midst for all eternity. If Psalm 132 is about God dwelling in His place together with His people forever, Psalm 133 is about God's people dwelling with one another in that same place in perfect unity forever. Psalm 133 is ascribed to King David. It's only three verses. The first verse says, Behold how good and pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in oneness, in unity. The third verse of the psalm tells us where that's going to happen. In the place called Zion. But first in verse 2, David likens, likens the goodness and pleasantness of the people of God living together in unity to the goodness and pleasantness of precious oil poured upon the head of Aaron and flowing down upon his beard and the edges of his robe. Now we have a hard time with that illusion. When you and I think of having oil poured on our heads and flowing all down our face and onto our, you know, the first thing we think about is how to find the nearest shower. But the image here is of something very, very pleasant. If you and I lived in a warm climate with an average humidity about the same as San Antonio, Texas, with no, no air conditioning and spotty access to water that often required a good hike to get to it, then we'd understand how pleasant it would be to have a very thin, not thick, moisturizing, pleasant-smelling oil poured over our heads during the long interval between baths. David's second picture of the pleasantness and blessedness of living together in unity as God's people is in the first part of verse 3. Like the dew that settles on Mount Hermon, which was to the north, is the dew that descends every day upon the mountains that surround Zion. That dew cools and refreshes and replenishes life But the blessedness that David is talking about here isn't from some soothing oil or cooling dew. It is the blessedness of relationship and unity that belongs to the redeemed people of God. That's us. The last sentence of that Psalm brings all this together. It says, for there in Zion, the Lord commanded the blessing. Life forever. Not a blessing, the blessing. I looked up every occurrence I could find in the Old Old Testament of the words the blessing, and there was always some, some thing that it was connected to that was usually about some particular event or whatever. This is the blessing in the biggest, broadest sense. The blessing, which is life forever. life together with God, life together with the people of God in miraculous unity in the place called Zion. And Jesus is bringing that place with him when he comes back. Resurrection life is life together forever. It's also life together now. While we wait for our glorious King and for his glorious place, God wants us to know that our resurrection life has already started. While our physical bodies eagerly await that miraculous renewal and transformation that will come on our resurrection day, God intends for us to know our souls have already crossed over out of eternal death into eternal life, which is union with God together with all the saints in John 5 24 Jesus said truly truly I say to you whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life present tense and does not come into judgment but has passed literally has transitioned or crossed over out of death into life Romans chapter six says that we've already been baptized with Christ in the likeness of his death and we have already been raised with him in the likeness of his resurrection. And that's the reason that we, that we live to please him, to delight him. Beloved, just as will be true in the perfect fulfillment of the central promise of the whole Bible, relationship, relationship and fellowship with God together with the people of God here and now does not mean relationship from a distance. It does not mean internet church. It does not mean Zoom meetings. Those are compromises, and they had better be temporary compromises. Physical proximity is foundational to everything that resurrection life means both later and now. The biblical truth called heaven is meaningless without a shared place. The night before Jesus went to the cross, he said to his disciples that he was going away from them for a time, but that his purpose, was, his purpose in going was to prepare a place for them. And then he said to his beloved disciples, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself so that where I am, there you will be also. Beloved heaven is not seeing God or each other from a distance. It is sharing a place together for all eternity. We have already entered into perfect union with God in Jesus Christ. We, the church, are the present incarnation of Christ on earth. We are the dwelling place of God on earth. And we have already entered into perfect union with each other. Now, our experience of that union isn't perfect yet. Everybody here knows that. But God says that that oneness is already done. Read Ephesians chapter 2 and chapter 4. We've already been made one new man in Christ. And in our experience, we are becoming what God has already made us. We have already entered into perfect union with each other. And the miraculous oneness that God has granted to his redeemed is, in his eyes, already accomplished. And God means for us to be together. He means for us to do life together. He means for us to gather together to worship and exalt his name. He means for the experience of the church on earth to be a vivid picture of the experience that we will enjoy in his presence on earth in the new kingdom, in the new Jerusalem, the new heavens and the new earth. All right, about done. By God's grace, you and I can endure anything that we face during our mortal lives because we know that at the end of it all is the end of sin and the end of the curse of death and is eternal relationship and fellowship with God together with all the redeemed of God and that redeemed place that God has prepared to dwell with us. He will be our God and we will be his people and he will live where we are for all eternity. Resurrection life is life together. It's life together with God. It's life together with all the redeemed of God in the place he has made ready for us. His place will be our place. Comfort one another with these words. Loving Father, we hear your beautiful promise to us. We cling to that promise as the hope that is the anchor of our souls every single day that we live in these mortal bodies on this cursed earth. Jesus will soon bring from heaven to a redeemed earth the place that he has prepared (laughs) so that in that place we will live in the presence of Almighty God together with all the saints of God, in the company of your holy angels. You will be our God, and we will be your people forever. And we say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. It is in his glorious name that we pray. Amen.